0: Well, good morning, church. Um, I'm a little emotional today, but I normally play guitar and sing um, or play drums. And we don't really hear much of what happens out here because we have earpieces in with like click tracks and stuff. But to hear just a room full of just worshiping. Oh, man. I've never uh, Give it up for God. This is beautiful. I mean, I've never been so touched in a worship setting. And I've been in worship conferences and concerts and I've played for conferences. And but this time this morning was just so beautiful that we don't necessarily mean Roger and everybody up here and this band too, just how they worshiped is just incredible. And I just wanted to say that, but and to you guys for worshiping, but whew. So normally when I start my sermons, I share just what's going on in my life, and this is funny, so hopefully I'll stop crying, but um, (laughs) I've had moments recently that have shown me that I'm getting old, and (laughs) this is being one of them, like, I'm emotional about, like, but, so I walk my dog every morning and throughout the day, and they're supposed to have the grass mowed on Thursdays at my apartment complex. Lo and behold, Friday morning, guess what's not mowed? The grass. I was so irritated, like, (laughs) so irritated that the grass wasn't mowed. (laughs) And then, me and my beautiful girlfriend, Belle, we went out to local roots um, for dinner one night, sitting there out, out on the patio, having just a romantic time together. And we're sitting there across from each other. And she goes, What's that on your nose? And I have a nose ring, and I was like, oh, funny, whatever. So I like, wiped my nose, and she goes, oh, that's your nose hair. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. We're in love. And then I told my grandpa, my, my grandpa was going to get embarrassed, but I told my grandparents this story. That <laughs> was something of how, like, they saw my, like, nose hair, and My grandma so willingly goes, yeah, your grandpa gets ear hair now, and I have to trim it out every once in a while. (laughs) So that's my future, folks. (laughs) Love you, grandparents. You guys are awesome. Anywho, so we've been in this series called Passport to the Mediterranean, and we've been talking uh, talking about Paul's seven letters to that same region, and we've been going through and seeing what was happening in the church at that time, what was happening in those cities, why was Paul's... Um, letters relevant to that church and we've been even even diving deeper into why is it relevant now and today we're going to wrap up this whole series and we're going to talk about the letter to the Philippian church in Philippi in the city of Philippi it was actually located in ancient Greece and it's in right now the area of Macedonia kind of eastern and it's about 10 miles in off the coast And back then, it was a strategic area for Philippi to be planted here. And it was actually the first church that Paul had planted on his second ministry journey. If we see here, it's kind of in the eastern part. It's not very far from the coast. But from the Aegean Sea to the Adriatic Sea, many travelers would pass through Philippi on their way to Rome. And it was called the Ignatian Way. So they would travel through here. And while they were on their way traveling to uh, Rome, they would actually hear the gospel from this church in Philippi. And Philippi, was, it was originally founded by um, immigrants from uh, Thrace. And the name became from, because they had abundance in gold and spring water, and they had beautiful waters and springs. And But later, Philip um, of Macedonia, which was the father of Alexander the Great, they actually renamed what was later, what was Philippi, into Philippi after him. And that actually, because of Alexander's ruling, that became the capital of the Greek Empire, but, as you know, Rome eventually came over, was the largest empire, and eventually took over that city and made it a part of the Roman law and ruling. And one of the cool things about um, Philippi that we see is that they had like an advanced med- like an advanced medicine school. And the gospel writer of Luke actually is said to have studied here um, inside of Philippi. And we have pictures of Philippi today. It's mainly just ruins and stuff like that, and they've done extensive um, archaeological and historical research that they just had beautiful streets, gymnasiums, agoras, baths, libraries, and we can see that um, Greek mythology was actually a big part of the Philippi culture, because they actually had a temple to Apollo there that they would go there and they'd worship, and until this church in Philippi was started where they started to come towards Christianity and believing in Jesus. And like I said, this church was the first church, which I think is so cool, and I'd love to go there eventually, but it's the first church that Paul actually planted in this part of Europe. And at the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, Paul was actually imprisoned in Rome for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Philippian church actually sent Paul a letter while he was, or a gift um, for Paul while he was in prison. And in exchange, Paul gave back this letter to them, to the Philippian church, as kind of encouragement. We see like the book of Corinth, I believe, like a lot of these letters that Paul was writing, it was a correction in a way. It was a correction that he was writing to them. Hey, you guys are doing this, but this is not what God wants from you. Turn your ways and do it like this. But this Philippian book and this church in Philippi, they were actually doing great. They sent this gift to Paul, and Paul's actually response in this is to give them an an encouragement. Paul knows that this thing called life can get rocky and there's times of it that cannot be very fun. And if you've read the book of Philippians, you know that this is described as Paul's joy letter. He he, He talks a lot about joy. I feel like joy today is kind of a lost idea in our society at this point. I go to work in this warehouse and everybody just comes in just moping along another Monday morning. We go out into the streets and I do a lot of uh, homeless outreach in the hilltop area, and I just walk through these streets and drive through the streets and see nothing but just the devil running rampant in these areas. We turn on the news, and all we see is destruction and war, and we see politics and politicians tearing each other apart. There's nothing joyful about that, and I think Paul was so dead on with this message that he knew there's going to be time when the Philippian church and even the church nowadays is going to need an encouragement of joy. So I want to ask you today what are you joyful about? Look at your lives this morning, and are you living a joyful life? Have you experimented in all materialistic ways to find joy and have come up empty? Have you tried to find different ways to express joyfulness, but at the end of the day, you lay your head on your pillow at night and you just seem empty? There is just something missing. And today I want to talk to you guys about where true joy comes from, the true lasting joy that we can talk about. So like I said, we're going to be in Philippians. So if you want to turn your Bibles, we have a lot of scripture today, um, or turn in your phones to uh, Philippians. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 14. And it says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole power of God, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. This is the first one of the first verses in, Philip, uh, in this book and letter, and I'm already convicted. He's sitting here in prison, in chains, and he's saying, he's thinking to himself, so you know what, maybe this is a good thing that I'm here. Maybe, maybe I need to be here. Maybe the good news is being preached because I'm here and I'm building up an army of evangelists, people who are preaching the gospel, to go out into their cities. But in my life, I know firsthand when the littlest sign of something goes wrong, ah, God, you're what are we doing? If I could just have one season of chillness, like do you guys ever say that? I say that all the time. Like, I just can't catch a break. I can't catch a break. One thing after another just keeps compiling on to me. And Paul's sitting here in prison saying, you know what? I think this is good that I'm in prison. I think I'm learning a lot while I'm here in prison. And I think the reason that Paul is okay with being in prison is because Paul has a kingdom mindset. What's a kingdom mindset? Kingdom mindset is that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, we think about how this impacts God's kingdom instead of my kingdom. How is what I'm going through, how is the lessons that I'm teaching impacting the kingdom of God more than the kingdom of Noah, more than the kingdom of Meadow Park? And we see that with Paul being in prison. He's saying, man, I'm more worried about how this is going to impact the kingdom more than myself. We we'll move on in a couple verses, 20 through 21, in the same chapter He said, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. This is Paul's example as Christians and as Jesus followers that we are supposed to follow. That mindset that as long as I'm here on earth, and this is, this is perfect for older people and younger people, that no matter that, everybody in here is still breathing, correct? For real. For real. Some of of us coast through life like nothing happens, but all of us are breathing in this room. That means God still has purpose, and He still has joy to give you. And you are still here, and He has put you here for a reason. And He's saying, to live is for Christ. So no matter what happens through our lives, no matter the valleys we go through, you are here and living for Christ. But even if we go through something that takes our life, and there's plenty of churches that go through persecution, physical persecution. Luckily, we live in a beautiful country that we don't have to but even if it means death that's better <laughs> that's a kingdom mindset that's having the attitude of christ and just the other day i was ran to Belle, my girlfriend and i was just i'm i'm in a season of life because i'm only 19 so i don't have a degree so i can't really do exactly the job i want to do so i'm working in a warehouse and I was just complaining, just, I'm not where I want to be, I'm working in this warehouse, like whatever, just complaining about life, and she goes, remember how we've talked about kingdom mindsets? Remember he said that? <laughs> she was like, remember we talked about kingdom mindset? And I was like, we talked about <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I remember, we did, yes, yeah. <laughs> and I've realized that I'm placed at this warehouse for a reason. Just like Paul was placed in prison for a reason. So when we change our perspective on things and they become a kingdom perspective, everything changes. When I walk into that warehouse, if all I do is inventory stuff and move stuff on a forklift, that will never satisfy me. I won't find joy from doing that. But when I go in there saying, I see a bunch of people moping around with no joy, and I'm going to be the only person in there that brings a joy like never before. That people, when they talk to me, they're going to see Jesus through the way that I talk to them. And there's times that I don't do it. I fall short. And I forget that I have a kingdom mindset. But that's what Paul is telling us here. Verse 29, chapter 1, says, For you have not been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now I'm going to be completely honest. When I read that, I didn't truly understand what Paul was kind of getting at. Because when you think of following Jesus, you think of freedom and liberation. You think of healthiness and healings and worship services and joyfulness. But he's saying, so when you follow Jesus, it's not only we trust in Jesus, but we have a privilege of suffering for him. Now, I didn't get it, but then I kept on reading. And we go into verse, or so he gives us this idea of joy and suffering. We need to take joy and and suffering, We go down to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. This, this gets me all amped up because this is awesome. But it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. Just like we talked about, we need to have that attitude that Christ possesses. Verse 6, it says, Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So he was God. He was divinity. He was in heaven. He's coming down, giving up all that to be here on earth. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declares that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory to God the Father. Church, that's what the gospel truly is. That when Jesus came to the earth, he took the position of us. And because he did that and he took on our shame and our guilt, he went to hell and he defeated it, and he died a criminal's death. So what Paul's getting at is that when we have suffering things in our lives, when we go through things that look like suffering, we should be gladly to endure it and do it because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Amen? Because of what Jesus did for us, anytime we're faced with doubt and fear, Anytime we're faced with what looks like suffering, we should have no problem enduring it because we can claim the victory that Jesus has already claimed for us. And we can live in that victory in him. We go through things, we need to have the attitude of Christ. We keep reading in verse 14 through 17, it says, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like the bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. So people should be able to look at your life at work or at sports games or anywhere you go and notice there's something different about you. They should be able to notice this bright light that shines in you even when it looks like you're going through bad things. I was talking to this mentor one time of mine and who does homeless ministry as well. And he was saying, you know, we need to have hope and we need to have this joyfulness inside of us at all times that we're doing ministry. Anytime we're out in public, we need to do that because you could see the same person every day and they might not acknowledge you any day of the week. But the one day that they're at their very lowest moment and they need somebody who has hope and faith and joyfulness and all the fruits of the spirit, they need to see you. And if we wake up one day feeling down about ourselves and saying, I'm just not feeling it today, so I'm just going to coast through today, that could be the day that they need it more than ever. That could be the day that they need that bright light shining in their lives, shining at them, proving that there is worth, that they are worth, that they have worth, and that there's something greater than what they're going through. If your boss asks you to do something that's a little outside of your job description, do it without complaining or groaning, this verse says. I struggle with that one all the time. Kids, teens in here, if your mom says to do something, you don't necessarily want to do it. Do it. Do it without complaining. Someone said amen. She's like, <laughs> Trust me, ask my mom. I was great at that one. But then we see the bottom of that verse and it says, Make my life an offering. And at the end of that, he says, And I want to share that joy. We keep using this word joy. And I feel like times we often get happiness and joy confused. Because happiness is this outward expression that we share. The pursuit of happiness. That's the American dream in a Will Smith movie, if I'm correct, right? I think that's a good movie. The pursuit of happiness. We pursue degrees. We pursue promotions. We pursue money and jobs and relationships and friendships. But at the end of the day, after chasing all those things, after chasing after happiness, that joy is still not there. That joy is still something we are missing. And true inner joy comes I feel like that's one thing this culture and this society is missing, is that true inner joy in our hearts. And I feel like experiencing true joy only comes when we offer our lives to God, like that verse says. And I can speak from experience that there's no drink, there's no drug, there's no person, there's no pornography video, there is nothing on this earth that will ever satisfy you and give you everlasting joy than the way that Jesus can. And it took me to be on my knees, bawling my eyes out on an altar, ashamed and disgusted with the person I had become. To realize that I need to give my life up to God. And then I experienced (laughs) this overwhelming sense of joy come over me. But it was when I sacrificed my life. And I said, you know what, God, this way is not my way. This life is not my life. This is what you make of it. And from this day on, I'm going to do everything I can to live in you and to live like you turning from our wicked ways move to chapter to chapter 13 7 through 11 it says i once thought these things were valuable these things on the earth he's talking about but now i consider them worthless because of what christ has done yes everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing christ jesus my lord for his sake i've discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection From the dead. Church, this is what we need to be doing. When we are walking through valleys, when we lose loved ones, when we get that cancer diagnosis that isn't in our favor, when everything else, when whole life seems to be caving in on us, we need to be the people that people notice when we're going through all this stuff. They say, How are you getting through this? And we can say, I don't really know, but I've got this joy, I've got this peace, and I just know my God's got me that no matter what happens, no matter what I go through, this is not the end that I have a faith in Jesus and he's going to get me through anything that I can go through because of who he is and what he's promised to me. No matter what happens, when we joy, when we have joy in the suffering, that joy moves to different parts of our lives. We shouldn't be interested in what this world has. We're going to take joy in believing who God is. That's our joy, believing who God is. And when you believe in that, Everything else falls in line. When he's the first center of your life and he comes before all the other things, anything else can't even touch you. I have a picture of this beautiful family. If you can put that up there. This is Brittany Corbett, Ben Corbett, and their two babies, Case and Indy. And actually, Ben's uh, mother is sitting here today. And Brittany has a stage four cancer diagnosis. And she beat it once and it's come back. And it's spreading to other places and I've been watching her journey just seeing the push she's posting and just the update she's given. And I've never once seen her in a place of just complete doubt that she's lost all faith. She recently went to Banff, Canada and she shared this picture of this beautiful mountain and this beautiful lake area and I want to read what she posted. She say to say I'm grateful is an understatement. A year ago I was in a wheelchair. It's been a year full of highs and lows. I definitely have some challenges, but I remind myself every day that I'm here and someone has it worse than me. I'm so glad I've pushed through every low and I'm here today seeing God's creation. Someone who has is literally going through the worst thing you can imagine. She's every day fighting and believing that there's a miracle bound to happen on heaven or earth. We need more people like Brittany that when the weight of the world is on you. And there feels like no other way to go. Leaning into God's trust and his love and his compassion. And saying that man, it's been a year full of some of you have had terrible years. Some of you have had a terrible 10 years, terrible 15 years. But what would this world look like if we would stand up and say, man, I know I'm going through it, but I believe that there's a Jesus Christ in heaven who's fighting for me, and I'm going to take joy in that. Joy is not always easy to have, believe me. Most of you know that you will never have every single day, every single second of joyfulness. We're humans. All of us are going to fail. All of us are going to fall short. But it's the belief in Jesus that we have that will satisfy your life in ways that you will never even imagine. We're going to take communion right now. And if you don't know what this communion represents, the top of that, of your flip thing, is a wafer. And when Jesus with his disciples for the Last Supper, he said, this is my body. It represents. And every time you take of this, this is my body that was broken for you. And when you do this, take any in remembrance of me. he took the wine <laughs> he said this is my blood I was broken and shed for you when you take this take in remembrance of me God, we're here. We're broken individuals in need of a savior. God, I don't know what everybody's going through in this room and in this moment. But God, I pray that you would just give them a joyful heart that they've never experienced before. That no matter what happens, they can remember your sacrifice. They can remember your body that was broken for them. God, your words say that you came to earth. You became sin when you didn't know no sin. So that we could be the righteousness. God, that when we stand before God, we're not looked at as us, but we're looked at as your son because of what you've done for us and you've saved us. God, help us to live in that joy, in that peace. God, that no matter what happens, we have a future. We have a joy that only you can provide. So God, come into our hearts, come into the midst of us, come into our workplaces. And change us and help us experience you like we've never seen before. You're all we want. You're all we've ever needed. Help us to realize that. And it is in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.